may be seated. Thank you, Ben. Ben uh, shared that song first at the Lenten service a couple weeks ago. I want to thank the band for learning it to do it with him. I love the message of that song, that even the heroes of her faith at times struggled with their feelings if they were going to submit to follow the will of God and his call. Like us, oftentimes our wants, our wishes, and what we think feels right can get in the way of God's call in our life. Ask yourself this question, how often does what you want, what you feel, come into conflict with what God is calling you to? Yeah, I don't want to go. And finally, uh, the song takes this point, I'll go if you lead, and Christ has already led us there. But, but I wonder how often do what we feel takes us away from where we're really supposed to follow? Ask yourself this, how can I know if what I feel is real? That, that's kind of the question we're asking today. The lie that we're trying to uncover is if our feelings are always going to take us to the right place. And I would suggest often they don't. But our world tells us if you feel it, if you feel it with enough passion, it's got to be real, at least for you. But let's think about that for a second. Have you ever noticed something that you heard or you said or you thought with enough frequency becomes fact? Something uh, that comes in your mind, in your life, maybe you heard it from uh, a friend, maybe your parent, uh, then you saw it on the internet, and all of a sudden you're like, well, it has to be real. This week I asked the question on social media, um, what's something that you didn't first believe and then you heard it enough, you believed it, but then you realized it wasn't real? Uh, for example, this first one uh, takes me back in time to I was probably about eight years old. Uh, this, this truth that I heard a lot, if you swallowed a piece of gum, it was going to stay in your stomach for seven years. How many of you ever heard that and you thought it was real for a time? Okay. Or how about this one? It's similar. If you ate a watermelon seed, it was going to grow up in your stomach. You're going to have to have emergency surgery. Some of you heard that and you thought it was real for a time. Or this one, your family's normal. You, you believe that. You've heard it enough. You know, we just are a nice family. We're normal. My mom and dad were here at first service. And I have to admit, we all think we're normal, but none of us really are. We're abnormal in our own ways and that's okay. Or how about this one? A lot of you believe this. You've heard enough that your kids are the cutest kids in the world. You, you believe that? <laughs> you know, you, people tell you that from the moment you bring them home. The reality is I love you enough to tell you your kids aren't the cutest people in the world. That only happens when they become your grandchildren. Then they're the cutest. Okay? I hope you understand that. That guy's a little scary. Move off of him, okay? <laughs> or how about this one? You've heard this a lot. Practice makes perfect. How many of you ever heard that phrase, practice makes perfect? Uh, you, some of you are really good at practicing things. You're still not perfect. You become better. You become maybe the best, but it doesn't make perfect. Or how about this one? Santa can actually fit down your high-efficiency furnace flue, okay? Uh, he can only fit down. The reality is he can only fit down the full-size chimney, okay? So I don't know what the rest of you are doing with that. There's a lot. We, we hear these things, and we think they're real. We tell ourselves enough. If you've watched recently the tragic events that shaped this family's life with the murder charges where a man, an attorney, has been convicted of killing his wife and his son, it's tragic. You, you know our world is in a mess. But this guy uh, so uh, has convinced himself, uh, psychologists actually have estimated or, or theorized that he has told lies enough about all different types of things that they are real for him. 
He believes it. Now, while he probably will spend the rest of his life in jail, many people, a growing percentage of our people, would, would submit this to you. If what he really feels is real and right, is it not right for him, no matter what? What becomes real and what becomes wrong is based on our world is how much you believe it. Well, as long as it's real for you, it's got to be real for those people who come in contact with. Does that include killing your son and your, your wife? We live in a world that wants everyone to believe that if they feel it's real, it's true. How far does that go? When do we draw the line and say, no, this is wrong for everyone? And who gets to decide that? Don't be surprised. The, the lines are being blurred more and more to what's real and what's a lie. You know why that's the case? Because our world is currently under control of the evil one. I shared the scripture last week. You probably need to hear it two or three weeks in a row to really understand this. Look what it says in 1 John 5. We know that we are children of God. There's the good news. If you belong to Christ, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you are a child of God, you are good, you are, you are saved, we're part of the family. But know this, the world we live in that's around us is under the control of the evil one. It was then and it is now. And until Jesus returns to make everything new and Satan is uh, kind of bound and chained, what Revelation says there'll be a day where he no longer is allowed to roam, we are still very much under the influence and the control of the lies of Satan. So, dear children, know this. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts, even if it feels good. Maybe especially if it feels good. Now, here's the cool part. There are things that are in God's Word that are not only true, but they feel good. Man, hold on to that. But the things that just feel good, uh, that take God's place in your heart, uh, run from them. Look what 2 Thessalonians says in chapter 2. He, the devil, that's who Paul's talking about here, will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. He's going to try everything. He's going to throw Hail Marys. He's going to throw all kinds of lies because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Now, here's anytime you see truth in the Bible, or almost all, 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 the majority of time, truth is directly connected to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came, died, was crucified in that death and, and allowed our sins to be forgiven and raised to a new life. The truth of Jesus, who is the truth, he's going to try to, to pull us from that. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived. If they don't hold on the truth, we're going to be deceived. And they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth while trusting in the good news of Jesus, who, who Jesus is. Believing the truth is so important. So what is truth? Our world would tell us whatever you feel is your truth. Ask yourself right now, what might you currently believe? It's probably not about swallowing bubble gum anymore, but what is it you currently believe that the world has helped you uh, form this opinion of that you think is true, but may be a lie? Oh, but it feels right. But, but is it? Does, it? does it line up with the truth of God's word? We have been told for a long time now that everyone deserves their own truth. You have the right to your truth, and, and so does everyone else in the room. Kirk has his truth. I have my truth. All of you have your truth, and they all may be different. Everybody in the balcony, we all have our truth, and as long as you believe it with enough passion, enough conviction, it's your truth. It's a very popular concept right now. But when does it become wrong? 
Satan loves this distracting nature from the real truth. So here's what the word would tell us, that we have to test everything. In fact, you should have tested me more last week when I shared this verse about testing everything. Last week, I uh, put up on the screen and I quoted 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. It does not exist. It is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Test all things, hold fast to what is good. I did it on accident, but here's the illustration that is really right in front of us. Don't even trust everything that I say. Maybe especially at times don't trust what the preacher says. If it sounds too good to be true, it it likely is. You need to test everything according to what's true. Two people called me out on that in a very cordial way, and I thanked them because they knew it didn't sound right. I don't know why Ben and I didn't catch that. We had a typo, and we went with it. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. Sometimes what we hold on to is a half-truth from relatives even. Many of you have probably heard this life story, this true thing that happened. It's kind of a cute story. A a, a young lady, uh, the the Thanksgiving tradition was passed on to her and her husband to carry on for the family. They began to host the Thanksgiving um, service or the family gathering. And she was in charge of baking the ham. And for a couple years in a row, she had this nice, beautiful ham in her nice new house and nice new oven, and she was cutting off the end of the ham. And everybody's like, you know, what are you doing? And and she would say every year, uh, I cut off the end of the ham because that's the recipe. Grandma always cut off the end of the ham. Grandma finally overheard this young lady telling the story about why she cuts off the ham because grandma did it. And grandma comes over to her and says, honey, the only reason I cut off the end of the ham because the big ham wouldn't fit in my little oven. (laughs) She says, your your oven's huge. You, You can put the whole thing in. Many of you have heard that story before, that illustration, but I wonder how many times we believe half-truths even from grandma or a friend, and we think they're true, but it's just there was another reason they did it. Or how many times we believe full-blown lies from the world and we deny the truth. Here's what I would submit to you today. We need to test everything, hold on to what is true, and deny the lies. Years ago, a very common phrase began to be popular. I don't know really when it came. I didn't do enough research to find out. But it was this idea that everyone was entitled or is entitled to their own opinion. How many of you heard that? You're entitled to your own opinion, okay? I don't really think that's a bad thing. You can have your opinion as long as you don't make your opinion uh, try to be pushed on someone else. Opinions are good. I think that concept that everyone's entitled to their own opinion is fine. Even if you want to cheer for the line eye and, and celebrate when my Hoosiers lose, it's okay. It's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. But you know, we've taken it to a whole nother level. Our world, our secular culture has had this new language Instead of everyone having their own opinion and entitled that, here's the language now. Well, it's my truth. My truth is my truth, and by golly, I believe it, and I'm totally sold out to it, and my truth is so true, you can't even have the ability to argue. In fact, there's a definition for my truth currently on, in the Urban Dictionary. In the Urban Dictionary, strangely enough, it is a place where you can go for, to define words, often slang words in our culture. And, and the way that it is linked to be the correct dictionary, uh, dic- dictionary definition for Urban Dictionary is if most people would say it's their definition. And then that becomes the official Urban Definition Dictionary. You know what the Urban Definition Dictionary de- definition is for my truth? It's a non-negotiable personal opinion. 
My truth, according to our world, is something that I won't even negotiate with you because I'm so opinionated about it. It is truth for me, so it's got to stand. I wonder what you have in your life that is your truth, that is, is just really an opinion, but you're, uh, you're willing to die on that hill. Our world has gotten to the point where if someone feels strong enough about it, it's true. Not even negotiable. To many in our culture, that has become not only trendy, but something that they stake a claim on. I wonder what truth you have that feels right, that's just right for you, but you'd argue with anyone. You know what Proverbs says about that? Proverbs chapter 12. The way of foolish people seems right to them. When we take this, my truth, to the ultimate uh, degree, we become fools because it's not resting on truth, but it's our opinion. And when it feels right to us and we stake a claim on it, we end up being foolish. But look what it says. Those who are wise listen to advice. So here's the advice I would give you today. Test everything. Test everything and hold on to what is good. So much of what you hear, so much of what feels right is very dangerous. What, what do you hold to right now that feels right to you? But you probably have to admit it's not, not right for everybody. It may be a lie for everyone. Testing it is so important. Remember this from Proverbs 14. There's a way that appears right. There's a way that feels good, but it's not real. But in the end, it leads to death. I love you too much. I love this church too much. I love the body of Christ in Bond County too much to, to have us give in to secular ideas that, that we all can have our truth. There is one truth that leads to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ. There, there's one truth that can really guide a marriage and, and, and help us raise kids. There's one truth that really helps us follow the word of Jesus, and it's God's truth in our lives. And we must let that word win, even when it feels unhealthy, even if it feels hard. So what, what is truth? That's a question that they've been asking for thousands of years, well before even Jesus. But I want to pick a story uh, up in a story where Jesus is about ready to be crucified. And he's on trial, but he's telling the truth. He, he comes before Pilate. He, he's finally made himself to Pilate because the Jewish leaders and, and the leaders of the Roman government have heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and, and how the kingdom of God is coming. And so he finds himself before Pilate. And Pilate's asking some good questions. He says, so tell me about your kingdom that you're establishing. Is it true you're going to be king? He's asking these questions. And listen to the response of Jesus from John 18. Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. That's like, Whoa. you said you're, there's a kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate says, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. That's what we're talking about. He, he came to testify and answer the real questions, uh, to, to answer the questions of truth, to be the truth. Look what he says. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And then Pilate asked a good question. What is truth? And Jesus could have spelled it out for him right there. He says, well, I am truth. I'm the way, the truth, life. He, he does that in other places. But I believe Pilate was honestly asking these questions. Well, where's truth found? Is it found in Caesar? Is it found in, in the rabbi that we can go worship with? 
Where is real truth found? And Jesus says, I've come to testify to that truth. And after spending time to Jesus, I believe Pilate really started to understand Jesus was good. And in that private conversation, I think he may have even started to realize he was of God. But then something happened that can happen to us real fast. The crowd showed up. And the crowd had a different message than Jesus. Pilate is starting to think all of a sudden, Jesus is good. Maybe he's from God. I think I should let him go. I do not want his death on my hands. So he asks the crowd. He like gives the crowd a way out of the whole situation. He gives himself a way out. He says, I'm going to give you two choices. The custom is for us to release a prisoner. And so he says, you can either, uh, I'll, I'll either release Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas, by the way, was a murderer, like an insurrectionist. He, he was a, a, a bad dude. Uh, people were scared of him. And, and he says, hey, I find nothing wrong with Jesus. Why don't you take Jesus? You know what the crowd yelled? Barabbas! Release Barabbas! And Pilate's like, I, are you kidding me? Uh, they were frenzied based on the lie that, that Satan had stirred up that, that Jesus needed to die. Instead of saying, release Jesus, they say, crucify him. And Pilate washes his hands. Because I, I believe Pilate was asking the question, where's truth? And he began to see it in Jesus, but, but he missed the truth right before him because of the, the cries of the crowd. I wonder how many times we do that. We get close to truth. We feel it in our heart. It feels right. It seems right to us, but then the crowd's like, no, that's truth. Maybe it's about sexuality. Maybe it's about finance. Maybe it's about relationship. Maybe it's about how to live out your marriage or, or be a parent. Maybe it's about how to honor God with your life. And, and while you see truth, you get close to it. Your, your friends, your family, uh, maybe a stranger, something you see on the, the internet, well, the crowd starts screaming something different and you get distracted. You're like, I'm not sure of the truth anymore. I'll just, I'll just make it through the next day. We often miss the truth when we follow the crowd. What do you believe maybe you're claiming is true and it's because the crowd has said so for so long. But it's really not true. Be careful. Test everything. Uh, oftentimes, we'll be distracted with the crowd. And you may say, well, that's just the teenagers. We call that peer pressure. I believe whether you're 12 or 102, you can follow the ways of the crowd. You know what? A lot of times the crowd comes into our older people's lives, uh, even my life. It could be uh, network television or the news. We're like, well, that's what the news is pumping into us. Uh, that's what our friends are saying. No matter how old you are, you're not immune to following the crowd and missing the truth. So be careful, test everything. Here's another example of this from a, even a better person, an amazing person. We often forget the truth because of fear. We may have held it for a while, but then all of a sudden something scary comes in our life. It happened to Elijah. He was an amazing prophet of God. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to look at this in a little bit more detail. Uh, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, if you're looking at your Bible, that's right before 2 Kings. Uh, that doesn't help much, does it? It's on page 299. If you've got a Bible like mine in the pew around you. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see Elijah confront this king named Ahab. And King Ahab's a, a bad king. He, he is a rotten king. He should have been leading God's people, the Israelites, uh, the Jewish nation, uh, to focus on the one true God. But he got distracted by the second person in, in this uh, list of people, uh, Jezebel. How many of you ever heard of the name Jezebel before? 
Jezebel was King Ahab's wife. So go ahead and show us that list of these characters. You got Ahab, this bad king. He, he was a bad king, but in large part because of his wife. You want to know how bad Jezebel was like an evil woman and she was just rotten? Have you ever seen a young girl or an older woman with the name Jezebel? Raise your hand if you've ever known a Jezebel, like by official name. There's a reason we don't use Jezebel for a name. She was a rotten girl. Now, her main concept is Jezebel. She really loved the power, and she loved, got caught up in evil. And she had these prophets that praised and worshiped and told the future as much as they could for these other gods, these fake gods. And we're going to learn more about them. One of them's name is Baal. Baal is really the fake god of this story, and his name literally means master. So what the Israelites were doing, they had followed Jezebel's lead, and they're like, we're going to worship Baal. We're going, to, we're going to sacrifice to Baal. And then Elijah, who I talked about, was the one true prophet. Literally, the Bible at this time says there's one true prophet left. There's times when we feel like we're alone following God, and when we come to church on Sunday morning, there, there's a lot of people. Elijah was on his own worshiping the one true God during this time. And during this time, King Ahab and Jezebel were really ramping up the worship of Baal. And Elijah was all alone. I mean, he was really alone. Sometimes we feel like we're alone, but we're really not, truly. I don't know how many times you felt like alone. There have been times I felt like alone. Like one time I went to a, a Cardinals and Cubs game at Wrigley, and I went with 50 of my closest Cubs friends, which was a bad idea. I felt like this picture, look at this picture. You know, there's this one guy with a red jersey on right in the middle of it. You're like, you're all alone. It feels that way at times. Or maybe you are a Comet fan, you got Comet gear on, and you find yourself all of a sudden at a Vandalia football game over in the bleachers. You're like, what am I doing here? I feel all alone. Or, or, or maybe uh, you, you wear a red hat to the Democratic National Convention. You're like, I'm out of place. Or, or you go to the Republican National Convention, you got blue on, and you're like, this just doesn't fit. I feel alone. One time it happened to me just all because of a hat. Uh, you probably know this, that every fall, the whole family goes to Streeter, Illinois, and we work on the farm. One of the first times I was on the farm before uh, the boys were really old enough to do anything, Dawson was probably one or two, um, I would try to play the part of this farmer. I enjoyed that. I grew up on a farm until like kindergarten, and then, and then we got out of farming. So farming was in my blood, and, but I didn't have the right farming clothes. You have to have some farming clothes if you're really going to be on the farm. So on this day, uh, before we went over to the farming vacation and to work, one of my buddies gave me a pioneer hat, okay? You guys know pioneer sells seed, okay? The interesting thing I didn't take into account, my in-laws sell for decalb. So, so I went to the farm on this first day. I had my pioneer hat on. It was a cool hat. I like because it looked cool. Pioneer for years have had good marketing plan. I walked into uh, the, the, the shop, and there my brother and father-in-law were with the regional decalb salesman, and my, my brother-in-law was like, He's looking at the hat, and I was like, oh, yeah. And that guy, we made it, he made a joke of it, and he gave me a, a decal hat right then and there. But it was awkward to realize I was out of place. You guys have all experienced something like that before. But I wonder how many times you've really been alone. Elijah was alone. The Word of God says he was, he was out of place. He, 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 was, he was the one, the holdout against uh, the king's wife to, to do what the word, the word of God said, to be faithful to the living God. Look what it says in chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab the king saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, the troubler of Israel? 
He says, you're the, the holdout. You're, you're, you're the one causing me and my wife trouble. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. Man, that takes some guts. He's talking to the king. He says, you know what? I'm not the, the one causing trouble. You are. And your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. He says, you're following the false gods. That takes some guts. He's, he's boldly saying, even though he's alone, I'm not the problem. You are. Your whole house. You and your wife. Look at verse 19. So he says, now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel. He says, bring all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and the 400 prophets of Ashar who eat at Jezebel's table. He says, by the way, let's go to this Mount Carmel. We're going to have a battle to see who's God's real. You bring the 950 prophets that hang out with your wife, and I'll be there by myself to take them all on. So that's the table that's set here. Man, what an amazing boldness, even though he's all alone. So he sets up the table for this battle. And he says, okay, you 950 prophets, you set up an altar here uh, with stones and, and, uh, and build it up to, to make a sacrifice to your gods and put a sacrifice on it. And I'm going to do one over here as well. And, I, and whichever God uh, consumes the sacrifice first, that'll be the one true God. And they're like, oh, well, we can do this. They agreed to it. And Elijah said, okay, by the way, I'll let you go first. You have every chance for your God to show up. So they build the altar, they put the sacrifice on it, and they start crying out to their God. And guess what happens? nothing. They're crying out to God, oh God, you are the one, we, we worship you, you're powerful, uh, bring down fire and consume this uh, sacrifice, it's for you. They do this for hours and nothing happens. Here's where I love it in the story. Uh, Elijah from over here says, hey, uh, yell louder, maybe your God is sleeping. So they start yelling louder and the Bible says they start cutting themselves so they'll bleed. That was a, a shine to maybe get the, the God's attention. And guess what happened? Nothing. So Elijah says, hey, yell louder. Maybe your God is on vacation. And they get a little upset. Uh, yell a little louder. Maybe your God, he literally says this, maybe your God is in the bathroom. He, he's going to come out and watch. Maybe, maybe he'll, you'll have, they do this all day long. Nothing happens. And boldly, the prophet of God begins to pray. Look what it says in verse 36. At the time of the offering of the oblation, that means at the time when it was time for him to make a sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. You are the big G God, and that I am your servant, and that I have done this things in your, at your word. So notice the words there, the truth's there. He's, he's, he's letting the truth win in his life. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Did you see this bold prayer? He, he says it only takes about 30 seconds. He says, God, you are the one. I'm coming to you, you based on the truth of your word. Let everyone know that you are God. Answer me, God, because I want these people to turn back to you. What an amazing prayer. That prayer probably didn't feel right. You know why? Because he was the only one trusting in that God. But he prayed it with confidence. Let me ask you this. What if we prayed more like that? 
What if we would pray that people would follow God's word, they would see us following God's word, and that they would turn their hearts back to him? What if we prayed a bold prayer to say, God, let people see me being faithful to your word, and I pray that people would turn their heart to you, that's it. Because you know what we often pray for when we're alone, when we're the only guy at the Cubs game? Um, Lord, let me just be comfortable. You know what we pray for when we realize our kids are kind of on their own? Uh, Lord, just I pray they'd be safe. You know when we, what we pray when we're feel outnumbered by the world? Lord, help me just get by. Uh, Elijah prays a totally different prayer. He says, God, let everyone know that as I'm faithful to you, they would see you as the God no matter what. Man, that's a bold prayer. And you know what happens? Look, look back to the text. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood. So the, the goal was if the God was real, he would consume the offering, probably the, the, the sacrifice. But look what happened. The wood burned up, the stones burned up, and the dust in the ground, and it licked up the water in the trench because they had even poured water on this. God, uh, he said, hey, I'm going to pour water on mine to show you how powerful God is. And God consumed all of that. And when the people saw it, they fell to their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Well, what a powerful testimony. How much difference would our world be and our lives be if we would pray that type of bold prayer, even when it felt hard? Elijah was willing to be a living testimony that God is real. He said, God, answer this. Let the word be seen in my life. Let it win over and over and over again. Now, you might think that this prophet of God, after this huge victory, by the way, you, do, does anybody remember what happened to the 950 prophets of Jezebel? They were slaughtered right there. They were put to death. You might think he's feeling pretty strong. He's feeling confident. You know what happens the next day? In chapter 19 of the same book, fear takes over this prophet. One day, Elijah stands strong against almost a thousand prophets. The next day, he's going to fall to pieces because of one woman coming after him. What changed? Fear. Doubt. Look what it says in chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And now he had killed the and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. They all died. Jezebel was upset. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, "So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life as one of them by this time tomorrow." He says, "Let God kill me. Let me die if I don't die, kill you first. He says, "But I'm coming after you." Then he was afraid. The same guy that the day before stood up against 950 other prophets and the king is now a coward in front of this evil queen. He was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He says, I'm scared to death. I might as well sit here and die. Lord, he basically prayed a suicidal prayer. His feelings went from, I can trust God, to I need to die. What changed? Fear in his heart. A feelings that came from one woman's accusation. Here's where the rubber hits the road. You can leave here today, hopefully be encouraged that, that Jesus is your king, that we serve the same God that we see in this text over and over again that is faithful. And you can go out and you hear one message from one friend or one bully or, or one boss, and you're like, I don't know if I can do it. Or 
We can be built up day after day, but when we allow our feelings instead of God's word to reign supreme, we'll fall apart quick. What changed for this prophet? Nothing but his feelings. He didn't hold to the word anymore of the God's truth that he's the one God. How quickly do we forget to also stand under the truth of God? And we will go with feelings that we hear from just a few people. Here's what I want to remind you in closing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's true. Our trust in our belief and our faith and here in our confidence in him should not change because he hasn't changed. Uh, as you leave here today, no matter what the world says to you, whether the world through Satan says you're, you're not worthy, uh, uh, no one uh, is able to be saved by grace, you've got to work at it and you'll never be enough. No matter what the world may lie to you about, it does not change that Jesus died for you and lives. So what happens when we become afraid? David put it this way. King David, that Ben just sang about not long ago, he says, when I'm afraid, even King David became afraid. You know the guy who killed the bear and the lion and Goliath? He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice this, in God, whose word I praise, there's a direct connection to say, I'm trusting you and I'm allowing your word uh, to win in my life. I I trust in God and I'm not afraid. What can mortals do to me? He says, what should I be afraid of? The word is trustworthy. Look what Jesus says about this. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Over the years, a lot of people have quoted that statement. But you know who said it? The only one that can really say it is Jesus, because he is the truth, and he can set us free from sin, from worry, from fear, because of what he's done for us. And here's the truth of his word that you can hold on to as you leave today. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. That's the truth. Satan is going to try to get in your head today that while this whole side can be saved by grace, and this side, and this side, but, but one person in the balcony may hear, you're not worthy of being saved by grace. Or maybe you're listening on the internet and you're like, I know anybody that came to church is probably worthy enough to be saved, but if I don't have courage to go to church, I can't be saved. It's, it's a lie. God loved you, the world, everyone who would believe in him enough to save them. Satan's going to try to say, you can't fix it, which is half true, but Jesus already has. No matter how you feel, sometimes our feelings will let us down, but when our feelings match up with the word... We can stand strong. Jesus died so you could live. Today, I would ask you to stand and make a stand on that choice again to trust his word, to trust the truth. So stand with me right now as we prepare to sing. And today, maybe you're, maybe you're thinking, I've never made that, that stand before. Uh, D will be over here. I'm going to be right here. We'd love to pray with you, just help you to commit to that truth. Maybe you need to talk to a friend. Maybe you just need to say in your heart, I- I'm committing again today no matter the fear that's around, that that I'm going to stay faithful and walk with Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. When our feelings lead us astray, I pray that we would focus on you. When the crowd or maybe one powerful man or powerful woman come against us and lie to us, help us not to hear that and be overwhelmed, but, but trust in you more. Father, I pray that if someone here today has decided to put their faith in your word, in Jesus, in that truth, I pray they would make a stand and let us know, let let you know with their mouths of what they believe. 
Lord, that invitation is open. I pray that, that you move. In Jesus' name, amen.